Welcome back, Arizona Nation. The Wildcats are headed up to the Palouse for a game against a top 10 opponent. Please tackle 14 for Arizona. That's the difference in the football game. He was amazing. Tate is doing things that I see Reggie Bush didn't do, Matt Leiner didn't do, Marcus Mariota didn't do, Marcus Allen didn't do. He's won four straight Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week awards. an absolute strike. The pass that couldn't have been thrown any more accurately from Tate. Make sure you guys kind of have to do this week uh, to make sure you can contain him on Saturday. Great. Welcome back to another edition of the Arizona Podcast. We're not joined by Brandon this week. Unfortunately, he's out with some family issues. We're wishing him the best, but hopefully he'll be back for our next podcast. But I am joined by Gabe. How you doing, Gabe? Can't complain. How you doing? I'm outstanding. Thank you for asking. Remember to follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas and Brandon at U of A Bear Down 07. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at PodcastZona. You can visit us on Facebook on the Arizona Podcast. And you can email us at ArizonaPodcast at gmail.com with questions or whatnot. Um, So last week, um, there was no game for the Wildcats, so we don't have any... Um, review to do on the play-by-play and and break down that action. Uh, But there was plenty of uh, Las Vegas uh, over-under and against-the-spread picks that we made. Gabe, you and I have really been fading to the average after coming out of the gate. I thought pretty strong. And Brandon's making a pretty decent comeback. Um, Last week, uh, UCLA was at Arizona. uh, Excuse me, at ASU. ASU had an 11.5-point spread. Um, ASU barely squeaked that game out by a field goal. The over-under was 61.5 and um, just came under that. So both you and Brandon had the under in that game. And Brandon took UCLA. Um, And so you guys uh, struck some gold there. I I swung and missed with my ASU plays well at home angle. Uh, (laughs) This week's opponent, uh, Washington State, uh, was at Cal. Uh, the Cal Magic ran, or excuse me, was at Colorado. Uh, Colorado on its now five-game uh, losing streak. Uh, Washington State was given up six points and and easily covered with an over/under of sixty-one and a half. Um, that fell quite a bit short. We all had Washington State, but we all had the over, so uh, at least got the game there. That's and, two weeks in a row that Washington State has failed me on the over. That's uh, that's interesting, uh, and we'll get to that this week in our preview where the spread and the over-under is because I expected that to be pretty substantial. Oregon 
went into Utah. Utah was actually giving up four points and was able to cover. Uh, we all thought that that was pretty amazing, but we were clearly wrong. Um, the over-under was 53 and a half, and it hit the over, so we all hit the over that week. Oregon State um, rolled into Stanford, where Stanford was giving up 24 points. We were all pretty hesitant about uh, Ferd on that spread, including myself and my crockpot level belief system. And I should have I should have been consistent and stuck to it because Ferd easily covered with an over under of 61 and the over hit. And Brandon was the only one who took the over in that game, so we swung and missed on the Oregon State, and we we all swung and missed on the under. I mean, picking Ferd in the under is like um, that's my gravy move. And uh, oh failure. yeah, easy call. And last but not least, uh, Cal. Uh, continues its late-season role of destroying the hopes and dreams of other Pac-12 teams uh, by beating uh, SC in a, just a strange, strange game. Uh, how Clay Hilton uh, continues to have employment is beyond baffling to me. SC was given up four. Obviously, uh, that was a problem for them with an over-under of 46 uh, that wasn't even close in a 15-14 squeaker um, where, AS, where SC uh, you know, basically puked up a two-touchdown lead and probably a three-touchdown lead by fumbling at the end of the first half there. It was a strange game. Did you get to watch much of that one game? Uh, I watched a little bit of it, not too much. That one... Um... Yeah, that one was actually pretty, like, I I was pretty tired this weekend, and that one was uh, a little past my bedtime there. Well, that one you would have probably turned off, you know, if it was 14-0 and SC was driving to score another touchdown and just assumed SC rolled to the blowout. But in the second half, despite multiple sort of just, it was a lot, very reminiscent of SC's game against ASU, just Neither team had outstanding execution, and it was just enough for Cal to, to pull it out, and SC really just didn't seem to, to have it. Was there any other games that weekend that jumped out to you? Um, I did watch the ASU game, um, and that one, I mean, it wasn't pretty for ASU. And I it mean, didn't it's bring it's, tears it's, to it's, your eyes like it did for the preacher? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, it's still just so fascinating that, uh, seven or eight win team can win the South here. And it's, I mean, it's still pretty much wide open. I don't know about ASU and Oregon this week. That's, that's a big Oregon struggling pretty hard too. I didn't watch, uh, the Oregon Utah game there, but yeah, man, it's just an interesting Pac-12 South right now. Yeah, let's uh, wrap up the last week's picks, and then we'll move on to the scenarios. So um, you went one for five uh, against the spread like me. You went two for five on the over-under, which was one better than me. I was one for five against the over-under. And Brandon, he's not here to, like, spike the ball and celebrate. He's uh, two for five against the spread and three for five on the over-under. So like I've been telling Brandon all season, don't call it a comeback. Um, yeah, so you mentioned the, the scenarios in the Pac-12 South. Uh, really a lot hinges on Utah at Colorado. That game will be over about the time, well, well before the Cats and the uh, Devils kick off in their respective uh, late-night games. Um, and so we should have a pretty good feel. If, if Utah wins that game, it's my understanding they basically guarantee themselves a share of the Pac-12 South. 
U of A needs to win its last two and have Utah lose. ASU still controls its destiny um, if it wins the final two because it has the tiebreaker against Utah. Um, thoughts on that scenario and, and where the Cats sit? I mean, at the start of the season, you would have expected a lot more wins, but on the other hand, halfway through the season, you didn't think we'd be competing for a chance to go to the to the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, I mean, there are two. There were two kind of expectations that were kind of set throughout the year, and I mean, even from the beginning of the season, we knew that this was going to be a weak Pac-12 South, and I guess I mean even Pac-12 in general. Although the North looks well, I mean, Stanford's not great, but. Yeah, you're getting you're, you're getting a good run out of Washington State right now, which was and, a, which wasn't the front runner, right? I mean, you would have oh, thought no. you dub for the championship, and Stanford, you know, maybe an outside chance. So for Washington State to be the the banner holders, you know, is nice um, that they're in that position, but it certainly doesn't bode well for how that that the, the sort of crown jewel of the Pac-12 in that division has performed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Washington has always been kind of the, I, for the last few years, kind of the college football playoff representative from the beginning of the season polls and such. And they lose to Auburn in week one. You can still recover from that, but haven't just haven't been dominant like they should, or maybe they should. I, I mean, they're, they're not the dominant team, but yeah, Stanford always has a shot. Oregon, maybe an outside shot. So Washington state, especially with their quarter, I mean, Really, now you could fit anybody who can sling it 60 times in that system. It's crazy how much success Leach can have out of that. But, yeah, I mean, from the South, I mean, everyone kind of figured this was a down year. USC with their quarterback still should be a high school senior. Utah is kind of Utah every year where they're, they're going to finish. They're going to pull off this collapse here I, i'm still a believer amen that, I was hoping i'm also terrified that up. <clears throat> yeah. but i'm also terrified that asu could just win the south especially in herm's first year um when i mean they were picked last in the pac-12 south in every preseason poll it seemed like but back to arizona i mean yeah you you expected you know maybe eight wins i would say and right now i mean that that would have definitely been good enough to win the south it seems if even if you just had one game, you know, slip away and, uh, you know, you can find another game to pick that up. But it's interesting because that UCLA loss really just stings right now. Um, just having that, especially, I mean, you, you did all you could with Rhett Rod behind there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, going back even just a couple weeks after the Houston game, it seemed like this was going to be a three-win season. So now you're kind of back in the hunt. You're five and five. Uh, even after the Cal game, ball eligibility didn't seem too feasible. You steal a win against Oregon and dominate them. So that definitely helps carry the momentum. But Washington State on the road, cold game, that's going to be tough. And then ASU, I mean, you never know what's going to happen there. So definitely two level. I mean, you had to reset expectations after those first two weeks. But now seems like they're playing their best ball right now and you got a, a week to heal up and prepare for Washington state. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that Utah game. You want to take any shots at uh, Larry Scott and PAC 12 scheduling with the LA game kicking off at one in the afternoon and the two Pacific Northwest games picking up, kicking off at eight thirty PM. 
Oh yeah, that's garbage. And then I mean, even for uh, I think it was Blair, the SID for Arizona. He tweeted that it's like a forty-five minute bus ride that uh, Arizona has to pull off to get to their airport. I guess they fly to Idaho or wherever. I'm not exactly sure where they stay, but um, yeah, I mean that, and that's you know assuming that there is no snow or any weather conditions that hold them back either um yeah i guess the weather's supposed uh, to be pretty reasonable so okay that's good but yeah then you're coming in and then you have a day game you finally have a day game and probably only because of asu if it were probably arizona and any other pac-12 school probably would have been a night game so at least you get the day game there but then that is you know cutting into a few hours of your regular I don't know, time that you're used to, I guess. Yeah, it's just interesting that this game with those two Pacific Northwest and and Larry Scott actually got called on that and he commented that it's 100% Fox's decision. So Fox wanted UC, USC UCLA at 130 in uh in a game of also Rans in the Pac-12 South. Um so let's um let's talk a little bit about uh Arizona at Washington State. Um so we really enjoyed the the factoids that the uh, Arizona uh, SID puts out um, puts out before the game. So um, Arizona is uh, forty seven one twenty one and one all time against AP top twenty five teams, um, which you know isn't particularly impressive, but um, is an interesting stat. They defeated at least one ranked teams in thirteen of the last fifteen season. Um, Washington State uh, is ranked for the third consecutive season uh, that the, that they hmm. uh, played the U of A, which I found uh, kind of surprising. I didn't realize they were having that kind of success. To be perfectly frank, um, obviously last time we played them, we we knocked them off then too, pretty emphatically. So Arizona is six and five all time against Washington State um, when they are ranked, including uh, hmm. it's a last victory. Um, in Pullman coming in 2006. Uh, J.J. Taylor continues to impress. He's fourth uh, in FBS with um, the most rushing yards, um, and he leads all Power 5 players with uh, 178.3 all-purpose yards per game this season. That puts him ninth most on the U of A um, uh, season rushing list, which uh, Kadeem Carey has the top two, and... um, He's uh, he's a pretty far way away from catching those guys. Uh, Khalil Tate uh, is the first U of A uh, quarterback to throw five touchdown passes in multiple games in his career. Which you know, hmm. for an off-season podcast, we ought to run down like a top five or top ten list of U of A quarterbacks. You don't really have to go very far before I think you could reasonably argue somebody like Vanilla Vic was a legitimate uh, all-time U of A quarterback, and that doesn't reflect so much on his accomplishment, although I, I think you have to give him credit for it, but as to the positive quarterback performance at the school. Um, uh, Schooler has uh, 32.5 tackles for loss in his career, which is only eight shy of entering U of A's top 10, and he hasn't even finished a sophomore season. Um, he has 101 tackles along with uh, Tony Field's 73 are the third leading tackling duo in the Pac-12 this, this season. I find that interesting because Fields, we had mentioned, really struggled early in the season and has really turned it on of, of late. And there's some stats I'll throw at you about 
Pac-12 conference defensive performance by the Wildcats. Uh, Any thoughts on Fields picking it up and Schooler's performance so far this year? Yeah, I mean, I feel like when school, I mean, Schooler has been calling Schooler all season, but I feel like his play in the middle of the season, especially I think it was Cal, I think that's really just been maybe a, a catalyst for the defense where, I mean, they, I mean, they've been playing pretty decent for the most part throughout the season, but I feel like that's really turned it up for them. And uh, I mean, I, I think he has over a hundred tackles already. Hundred, hundred one. Hundred one. Yeah, so just over a hundred. I feel like prior to Schooler being here, Arizona, like, from him and Scooby, right? I don't think there were a hundred, uh, a guy with a hundred tackles. Maybe Will Parks, uh, um, one year, but I, I'm not entirely sure there was ever a hundred tackle guy there. And, and yeah, Tony just kind of didn't do much a whole lot in the beginning of the season, but uh, he's getting after it. I mean, the whole D line, uh, they've been providing pressure th- throughout the past few weeks too. And so, I mean, it's been a, a nice addition to the defense and now going into this bye week hopefully just get some rest because i i mean schooler never comes off the field so he's definitely got to be feeling some fatigue heading down the stretch so it's uh it's a good duo that you have back there and then you're kind of rotating jalen harris kylan wilborn uh i mean i think that's pretty much it for your stud so i mean those two guys never really come off the field and that's it's a good group to have back there yeah, I, I also would echo the, the you know, it's 10 consecutive weeks the Cats have played, and so getting that by uh, is pretty critical. And we talked about Khalil Tate and his ankle, especially high ankle sprains tend to be real slow healers. Um, and the way he was able to turn it on and actually blow past a defender on that read option play against Colorado. And, and to me, that really signaled the return of Khalil Tate's running effectiveness. Um Tate has 19 passing touchdowns this season, which ranks ninth on the Arizona single season charts. Um, He averages 28.7 yards per pass on 36 career touchdown throws. And as you know, I've argued that it's the explosive play with Tate. That's much more important than, than, you know, his, any singular ability, the, the, the nickel and dime is not something Tate's going to have the patience for whether he runs far or throws far. I think that that's, uh, indicative of his unique skill set. Um, so I think having a week to rest and get that ankle healed up is going to be critical if Arizona is going to stand a chance to match score for score with Washington State. What do you think about the potential for Khalil Tate firing on 100% ankle at this time of the year? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell the past two, three weeks now compared to where he was uh, against Houston and I mean, Oregon state, I don't, I don't think uh, maybe, maybe there were some issues there, but I mean, just in general, I feel like, I mean, it's, it's definitely a huge turnaround from what we saw at the beginning of the season. And I mean, really, I think even when it was Rhett Rod going, I just felt like Tate would probably come back and it would just linger all season and we really haven't seen any signs of that it's been a super efficient offense he's hitting on the deep ball lately he's making those explosive plays like you said and I mean it's really been 
I mean, for, for Quill Tate not scrambling as much as he did last year and, and having that dual threat capability uh, that I guess we would all wish that we could see and, and he could just torch defenses. I mean, it's a su- it's been a super efficient offense. Uh, and it's just him and J.J. Taylor, really. J.J. hasn't really had a running mate without Gary Brightwell there. And so, I mean, it's just it's pretty incredible to think about how far the offense has come. Not not only just without him running like he used to, you know, he was I think averaging 130 yards uh, on the ground last season, somewhere around there. It seemed like it. Um, and then the offensive line, where you're bringing in all these starters, and I think a lot of talk has just been about how great Joe Gilbert has been and what he's really done with kind of just a bunch of nothing and moving guys around and. It's been pretty pretty great to see the offense rolling the way it has been. Yeah, considering he's starting to walk on at center and a true freshman at right tackle, um, you know, I think you have to give Gilbert credit for for keeping it together and and Frank missing a couple games and then missing some additional time with uh, an injury. He's really had to play uh, musical chairs with his offensive linemen, and it has really come together as the season has progressed. I, I would say, you know, despite my trepidations about end zone and the offense as it came out of the gates in the season, as you point out, without an entirely uh, an entire facet of Khalil Tate's games, which you could argue was his most potent skill set, the offense really has evolved into an incredibly effective one. And I think that's how we've won games as as our defense taking the step forward that we had hoped under um, Yates with his his subsequent continuity in the program but we'll get into some defensive improvements that have happened with as conference play and, and that side of the balls developed i just wanted to throw out a couple more uh, factoids here the wildcats only have only 12 uh seniors on the roster uh, including six that have started the season and i think notably in that group you could say half of those six starters are, are wide receivers so optimism in an incredibly young uh roster do you want to make some comments on that roster makeup uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. Actually, I was talking to Brandon about this earlier uh, in the week about the wide receivers. Where going into this season, it's funny how I mean, really, we were just saying it's Sean Brown, and then you just hope Sean Poindexter has that breakout year we've been talking about that you dream about from a six-five, two hundred ten-pound guy. And then Tony, I mean, he's been he's been playing out of his mind for the past two years, well above uh, you know his recruiting level and where he was as a high school kid uh and now it's kind of like dang when these three guys leave next year you know you kind of have some mystery again at wide receiver and it's really going to be interesting to see how they mold that group together um but then yeah i mean just in general now the offensive line it was kind of a, a just a mashup of of what you can bring together you didn't have a lot of depth you're moving guys around but a lot of them them are going to be returning next year uh, you'll have uh khalil tate well I, I imagine is probably back at this point i know a couple weeks ago we were thinking you know he could be frustrated gone you have jj taylor coming back so the offense looks good and it's it's a young core receivers definitely going to be a group to watch and you're going to need some guys to emerge there on defense i mean year is this three or four of Yates now um 
you know, it's it's interesting. The D line has definitely gotten bigger. I think this is better in how they've played over the last few years. Uh, you're losing Derek Bowles. Uh, it seems like PJ Johnson's going to be gone next year, so you got to replace some guys there. But you're still going to have your junior linebackers now with Schooler and Fields there, and then safeties, probably the deepest group there. Uh, and you can rotate a bunch of guys. Hopefully Isaiah Hayes can stay healthy and he can contribute at free safety. And then you can kind of move guys around him. You're losing Demetrius. And at the beginning of the season, you know, it wouldn't seem like a huge loss, but he's really turned it up. I think like over the past few weeks now, he's been like one of the top graded safeties on pro football focus. He's been tremendous the second half of the season and everything that he's been able to do. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what has like slowed down for him or what's changed in the defense for him, but he's been playing out of his mind as well. And then corners, definitely a young group with not a lot of depth. You don't know about Jason. He's hurt, been dressing out, but not playing. Not, not too sure about that situation. And then Lorenzo Burns, your clear number one guy, uh, assuming that Whitaker is, you know, gone or still hurt or whatever you have. And then you're really going to be maybe flirting with Mackenzie Barnes or, or Christian Young as your number two. Not exactly an ideal situation there, but you don't have a lot of depth and no one's really stepped up. It's easy Hearn, I guess. Uh, who are the two that are out? Sammy Morrison and Malcolm Holland. Those guys have been out for the season season and the injuries not too sure what to make of that going into next season so you hope that recruiting can land somebody hopefully a bobby wolf a texas a&m commit but i mean it's a pretty interesting and young roster and i think i've said this many times where it's such a young roster and i feel like when they get down in the first half uh, especially it happened earlier in the season with houston and usc uh, i just feel like that's huge for them to you know, they're down and, and it's hard for them to get their energy back up. But then for them to come out in the second half and actually start competing, I think that says a lot about a young team. Yeah, hopefully uh, Tim Ho hasn't used all of his eligibility up and he can come back and reinforce us at cornerback. I kid, I kid. <laughs> um, uh, last little fact right here, uh, wide receiver Sean Poindexter has scored a touchdown on each of his last four receptions. I hadn't realized he'd scored on, on all four of his last catch. I remember that slant, us talking about what a great play that was, and then that long ball. Uh, but... Um, you know, shouts to Sean for being the, the scoring machine. So let's talk about how the defense has improved. So uh, the Wildcats have improved their scoring defense from nine point uh, by 9.4 points per game from non-conference to conference play, which is the second best improvement in the Power Five. I can't honestly say um, that I noticed that. Did you feel like that was that dramatic of a transition for you? Um. No, I, I can't say that I would think that it was that big of a change. And to be honest, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I feel like, I mean, last year, sure, they'd give up some points, some drives, but they were coming away with turnovers, and that definitely saved them. Here, you know, I guess it, it does, they have been limiting a, a decent amount of scoring drives, I guess, but. Then again, you look at the Oregon game, and I mean, they they were just stopping them the entire game, and they weren't moving the ball. But yeah, I guess I, I am a little surprised by that jump. I, I I'm not 
blown away by the defense, but to, to an extent, I mean, the defense has kept Arizona in some of those games, especially like the USC. um, And, you know, in the second half, we had started to see, it's especially early in the season. If I recall correctly, like Oregon state, uh, Southern Utah, all those kind of weeks, two, three, four, five, I feel like they were just shutting them out in the second half. And that's what kept Arizona in the game when, the offense was struggling and we were all frustrated with Khalil, but yeah, it is a little shocking. Um, I mean, last year's defense was super exciting. I mean, they were giving up plays left and right, but I mean, they were getting to the quarterback. They were forcing fumbles, uh, you know, finding picks, but it is interesting this year. Yeah. Last year's team, it's the third down conversion percentage, which killed them, but the turnovers yeah. were very impressive. So um, Northwestern went from 30.3 in non-conference to 19.9 in conference for a difference, a difference of 10.4. Arizona went from 34.7 to 23.8 for a difference of 9.4, which like I said, was second in the power five. Um, just looking at Pac-12 scoring defenses in conference only games, it's led by Washington 18.4. California Showing an impressive 21.9. Utah, an expected 22.6. Stanford, also very consistent at 24.6. But here comes Arizona, number five, top half of the Pac 12 at 25.3. Yates has, I think, been fairly criticized for the statistical effectiveness of his program but it's interesting as the team seems to be gelling at this point in the season that that's also reflected in the defense and i think it's a very positive sign going forward yeah i mean you're coming off uh two big wins with oregon and colorado then you're going into a bye week i mean so i mean i guess there's two trains of thought like yes they are playing their best football and you know i mean I, the guys want a bye week, I'm sure, but I mean, you're coming in with a hot hand, and now you have number eight Oregon or Washington State now. You know, maybe you do want to just go in and keep rolling, but I do think that, you know, like you said, after 10 weeks of football, definitely wears on you and you're traveling up there, but at least you have a few weeks to prepare for it. And the defense has been playing well over the last few weeks um, for the most part. And so, I mean, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see see what they can come up with it's i mean no one seems to have an answer for a washington state offense right now but well i, mean, hope, hope. I, I feel like they're de- they're definitely going to be aggressive yeah hopefully the defense is the answer because it's been quite the offense to stop um pack 12 uh leading tacklers through 10 games uh colin schoolers coming in at number five between uh ben burke curvin who's just destroying it up at washington uh Jordan uh, Kuzniak or Kuznizik, Kuznizik, and Evan Weaver, the the tandem for California, and then Pickett at UCLA, Darius Pickett. So, um, you know, most uh, also one of the things uh, Arizona has been doing well, even though we haven't had quite the takeaway ratio, is our tackle for loss has really been. Um, quite impressive uh colin schooler now has uh 19 which uh is the second most all time for any era defense any arizona defensive player uh through nine games and his second uh, excuse me a second all time to scooby right at 21 um and so national leaders in tackle for loss uh, nate harvey at east carolina has got 20 and colin schooler has 19 and um 
and like I said, uh, schoolers just two two tackles behind Scooby Wright um, through ten games. Um, interestingly, Arizona has had a pretty high. Um, Opponent penalty yards, uh, three of Arizona's last uh, six opponents have topped 100 yards in penalties, and Utah almost hit that at 94. Uh, so Arizona leads all FBS teams in uh, opponents' penalty yards at 87.8 per game. What do you make of that? Hmm. Uh, that is interesting. I imagine a decent amount is pass interference. Um, I mean, that's... That's 15 yards right there every time, and I feel like Arizona's been pretty good at drawing those. Whether it's uh, Stanley Berryhill, I think he drew one on Oregon. I think Devon as well. Sean's been pretty good at that too. Uh, so I think I mean that's I feel like that's definitely also just the nature of Arizona's offense with that deep threat. You're going to draw a couple more of those, and whether that's just bad coverage or just a defender trying to save face there. Uh, you know, I feel like that's going to be a big chunk of it. But then aside from that, I mean, I don't – I'm trying to think of what other penalty – I don't think there's a whole lot of, like, false starts that they're drawing or when they're at home. Uh, delay. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting stat, and I'm not sure. I think you probably hit it on the head. You know, we talked about how uh, Tate's, you know, not shy about tossing the ball down the field. And it makes sense if you're going to be throwing up a lot of those three flies up brett farvey and uh you know go out and catch it for me wide receiver type plays that there's going to be some pis on that and so that would drive the yards very quickly so i think you probably nailed it on the head it would be interesting to see a breakout by by penalty type uh so the wildcats open the season uh by creating just one turnover in the first four games uh since arizona's defense has forced 15 turnovers in the last six contact uh, the last six games um that's vaulted u of a into the top half of the league for the most turnovers gained in conference game and currently they're tied for third along with utah ucla and colorado which is two behind Oregon at 17 and three behind California at 18. So uh, that has been a pretty substantial turn uh, turnaround for the defense in an area that I think um, Yates predicates a lot of his defensive success on. In the Pac-12 games, we've gained 14 additional tur- 15 turnovers in, in um, Pac-12 games, uh, which puts us tied for third in, in the conference, but we only had one in the first four games. So big flip around in our takeover ratio. Yeah, and, and I mean, that was de- so that was definitely a concern. I feel like Arizona didn't have a turnover and a sack maybe, or maybe one of each in the first like four games or so. I feel like that, that was definitely uh, a lot of the frustration too, where one to Yates, he's been here for a while. It's not like he's still implementing a new system. He's had his guys in his system now that he's recruited and he's got some pretty good guys at that. And uh, I mean, it, yeah, that, that was definitely frustrating. But yeah, it is. I'm trying to, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there's Southern they're Utah was the first them. sack, right? And the first, you yeah. know, we hit a lot of firsts in that game when we finally won one. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, yeah, that was a lot of frustration. But now, I mean, even through the six games, I, I feel like a lot of it's been forced fumbles. I know there's a lot of, uh, a couple of picks. Troy Young, Scotty's had a couple too. Um, but that, that's a crazy amount of turnovers to, 
pull off in six games. And I don't, I'm not too sure Arizona's been turning it over either. I, maybe a, a bad pick or two by Tate, but I don't think uh, JJ might have had a fumble here or there. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, they, that's that's been key for Arizona. And to, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you, I'm curious to see what we had last year. I don't know if you have those available um, in terms of turnovers. But yeah, I mean that's it's kind of it feels like it's on pace. Well, I know uh, Burns was like last second in the Pac-12 in interceptions, and yeah, he had like five or six. I feel like, but and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we were it's just very been... high in the turnover ratio last year. Very, very yeah. High. I don't remember exactly where we ranked in the Pac-12, but we lived and died on flipping the flipping the ball. Uh, oh yeah. So a couple. So a couple other interesting defensive stats. Uh, Colin Schooler and Tony Fields uh, are have a total of 174 tackles. That puts them for the third best uh, duo in the Pac-12 behind um, Weaver and what is it? Kunazik? Kunazik at California and Ben Burke-Curvin and uh, Bartlett at Washington. Um, also, uh, we're Scotty Young Jr. is now second in the Pac-12 in interceptions with uh, three uh, behind uh, Javon Holland at Oregon. So Scotty Young's a guy we thought may have to fight his way back into the lineup, and it certainly has turned out that he's been a, a big contributor on defense since his return. Yeah, that was interesting just because of the way that the situation was handled with Rich and not much had happened and then someone comes in and hears about the situation and uh takes action there and yeah i mean you figure i mean there were a bunch of safeties ahead of there's so many safeties on this roster and so you figured he would be worked in but i mean he's been playing pretty much every game i feel like he might have been rotated out or missed the game from injury this season but yeah, I mean, he's been solid, and you can play him at really any three safety spots. So no complaints from me. Yeah, Lorenzo Burns um, isn't getting picked on as much as he was his first season, so he doesn't have as many interceptions, but he's still third in the Pac-12 in pass breakups at 11 behind um, Adobo at um, Adebo at Stanford and um, Byron Murphy at Washington with 14 and 13. He's got 11. Um, we've talked quite a bit about DFF, and um, I think PJ Johnson's contributions to the defense, um, have, you know, can't be um, overlooked as the defensive line really has uh, picked up its game of late. And I, I think that's also contributes to the success of Fields and Schooler uh, keeping them clean and allowing them to, um, you know, make you know, slashing plays. I remember when Jake Fisher was here and I really thought he had good instincts and, um, you know, maybe not quite the same talent as a Scooby Wright or a Colin Schooler, but very similar, uh, you know, sort of instinctual game, but he just got washed out on so many plays by having to get engaged with, a um, with, a with a defensive lineman that was just much, much larger than him. I, I, didn't feel like he had an opportunity to really, um, you know, apply those skills with the defensive line that he had. Yeah, that is a interesting. I mean, Jake came in like right at the be or Jake was leaving the program right as I was coming in and really started following. But it is a interesting. It, yeah, he's like a Colin Schooler light or Scooby Wright light and. Yeah, that is interesting. But yeah, um, I mean, 
PJ Johnson's been huge and Arizona missed very badly on some Juco defensive linemen under Rich Rodriguez. And he finally hit with PJ Johnson. And I mean, we don't know if we'll get another year out of him, but his play has been tremendous. And just, I think moving him to, I mean, really he could play any defensive uh, line spot, but moving to end starting against USC, I think that was just super smart, and you're just able to get more size with him at ends, Derek Bowles um, as your nose guard, and then JB kind of plays a hybrid end nose tackle position, and your D-line's looking pretty good right there. Yeah, it's almost interesting to see him over there on the end. He doesn't he doesn't look like an end. He he looks like you'd want to have him at that defensive tackle position. But um your your point is well taken. That that transition on the defensive line really did bring the whole thing together. Um let's move on to um Oregon State or excuse me, Washington State. I don't think we have to belabor you know, Washington State. We know what they are. They're they're a monster on the um the passing um Front uh, Gardner Minshew is a legitimate Heisman candidate. Um, as you mentioned, Mike Leach can produce a Heisman level quarterback from seemingly anyone. Uh, guys that were going to be retiring and being grad assistants, or guys that were walk-ons at other programs, and so um, this just adds to the legend that is uh, the pipe. Gabe, what do you think of Gardner's uh, game and what he brings to the matchup uh, for the Cats against Washington State? Yeah, it's interesting because, like we've mentioned, I mean, it's just an air raid offense. And I think he leads FBS or Power 5 in passing yards and uh, still a ridiculous touchdown-interception ratio for as many attempts as you're getting, putting up 60 attempts every time. Uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to to get just kind of the previous defenses against Washington state out of my head in terms of Arizona, where they're bringing three up to rush and just dropping back eight. And that's really terrifying to think about with just, you know, having such a smart or just lethal quarterback back there with all that time. I just, I'm really terrified about that. But over the past few weeks, we've seen, Marcel Yates and the defense just become a lot more aggressive. And I think Washington state, they're among they're for sure among the best in the PAC 12 when it comes to sacks allowed. Um, so it's going to be tough to get some pressure on him, but, and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough matchup for Arizona, just in secondary and probably just for a school or in fields, even when they're trying to get through the line, I feel like Minshew's going to kind of know what's coming and he's going to get the ball off quickly, but it's going to be a big test for whoever the corner number two is. They've been kind of rotating with Christian Young as easy Hearn. I I feel like we haven't seen a lot of Mackenzie Barnes over the last few weeks, but I mean, they're going to get picked on a lot. It's going to be like Lorenzo Burns in his first few weeks last season where they were just targeting him. And so it's going to be interesting. And you hope that, you know, there's really no way to go about this. It's really just kind of pick your poison. You can go man to man and try to, and try to match up on them, or you can go zone and just hope that they can't really pick you apart. And 
you know, just try to confuse them. But there's there's a lot of intricacies there against the parade, and it's a little it's a little scary to think about, especially just knowing the result of the last time Arizona went up to Pullman. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Yates deploys his team because against Colorado, he used a lot of zone. Um, I don't think that's going to work with Washington State. Um, I think if you run a lot of zone with them, they're going to pick you apart. But he hasn't been prone to leaning on one modality more than the other. He's certainly flexible in that regard. So, uh, you know, the chess match therein will lie. Um, As you pointed out, uh, they're leading the nation in um, uh, passing percentage at 70.6. The second team in FBS, um, or excuse me, um, yeah, FBS is at 60.4. So a full 10% more than the the second highest team uh, at passing percentage. If you go back to 2012 with Washington State, their pass percentage by year were 74.3, No other school in a single season has had a... uh, a single season at 70% or higher since 2012. So in only one season did they not exceed 70%, and no other school has ever exceeded that. Um, only once this season have the Cougars attempted fewer than 50 passes, um, only throwing the ball 40 times against Oregon State. Um, we uh, have not had a single game where Arizona has attempted 50 passes in a season. Um, last time that happened was in 2017 against ironically Washington state. Um, so they're averaging, um, 53.7 pass attempts per game, uh, which is 18, uh, pass attempts higher than the number two team in the PAC 12, which is Oregon state. Um, they lead the PAC 12 in total offense by more than hundred yards. Uh, even though they're last in rushing yards by more than 30, um, Arizona second in the PAC 12 in total offense. Um, and again is rushing, uh, for the first, uh, ha- leads the conference in rushing yards, uh, which I thought was going to change with us this season. Um, you know, given the way Tate and Mazzoni rolled out in that first game against BYU, are you surprised that Arizona's leading the PAC 12 in rushing yards? Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, even going into the season, just with the offensive line shakeup that we've already talked about, I mean, you had to replace four starters and it just for me, I was I was not very optimistic about the offensive line and that obviously affects your run game. And so especially with the first two, especially with the BYU game where you saw really no read option. Quiltate's just chucking it every every three plays, it seemed. And then Houston, you just didn't have much of an offense. Really, for the first half of the season, you didn't have much of an offense. And now they're just suddenly rolling. I mean, it's really been J.J. Taylor, I think. He's still leading FBS or the Power Five in rushing yards or all-purpose yards. I mean, he's top five in, in pretty much like all those categories, I feel, but... I mean, yeah, JJ's just put the rushing load on his back right now without Gary Brightwell. And to, yeah, to have, because Arizona had led for the past two seasons, I think. And a large part of that is just the nature one Quill Tate and then with Brandon Dawkins, um, just the nature of the dual threat run first type of quarterbacks. 
and just kind of their, I, I don't know, youth or inexperience or I don't I, I mean, maybe lack of confidence. I don't know for Brandon Dawkins at least, but uh, it is, yeah, it's incredible to actually think that they're leading and with this offensive line and with just JJ Taylor, I mean, I, I am a huge advocate for JJ Taylor being the lead back through every down. I think he's too small, but just to think that, you know, I think he had 30 carries against Oregon or whatever the game was or 40 care. I mean, I, the dude can do it all, but for him to just put the whole thing on his back is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm leg- I was legitimately concerned about him getting that many touches, but comically, I-, I thought he was the kind of guy that we should probably limit to 10 touches or 12 touches a game, uh, you know, just to sort of spare him the wear and tear. So I, I clearly vastly underestimated oh, yeah. his durability. Um, you know, Washington State is leading the Pac-12 in time of possession, which is a little bit uh, strange for a team uh, that passes the ball so much. Uh, but they're only third in third down efficiency. Um, so I, I found that a little bit interesting. I would have thought that them uh, and their second and fourth down percentage. Um, so I, do you find that to be a paradox that they're third in the third, third down percentage? Um, excuse me, they rank fourth in the Pac-12 in third down percentage and second and fourth down percentage, but they're number one in time of possession. I found, found that to be a little bit of a paradox for them. What do you think about that? Yeah, that is interesting when you, when you mash them up together there. Time of possession, I guess I kind of see it just because they're rushing the ball, but it, I mean, then you think about the third downs and I mean, if they're not really extending drives on third, they're just doing it on first and second, I guess. But but then also, I mean, this isn't the kind of quick two-minute offense that we've seen out of Rich Rod before where, you know, Arizona could score in the first minute and a half of a drive or a game even. And, I, I mean, I guess there have been some longer sustained drives. And, I mean, when we went back and through that Oregon game drive-by-drive, I mean, there were some periods where Arizona was just ripping the ball and just doing whatever they could do on offense. And, I mean, just keeping the clock running and just doing whatever they wanted. So I do think that, you know, there have been times this season where, you know, I I do think it is more sustainable drives, but at the same time, Quill Tate uses that deep ball, and that's how Arizona gets downfield. And then, yeah, it also be... Fair. I mean, you're still above the top half for third and fourth down percentages, but very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just kind of first and second down movements and you're rushing the ball a lot more. Yeah, I think you you nailed it on the head. They must be more efficient with the yards uh, obtain, obtained on first and second down and in, in, in converting the um, the yard marker at that point. So, um, as you pointed out, uh, Minshew leads the nation with three hundred and three thousand eight hundred and fifty two passing yards. Um, he's thrown twenty nine touchdowns at a sixty nine point six percent completion rate. Um, he has. Um, 
he has a 29 to 7 uh, touchdown to interception ratio, but prepare to have your mind blown. He actually has a lower pass efficiency rating than Khalil Tate, who's completing 56.2% of his passes with a 19 to 6 touchdown to ratio, uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Does that completely um, invalidate your belief in passer efficiency rating, Gabe? Um, yeah, those numbers are cooked. <laughs> All right. I'll take it at that. I've always put a lot of weight in the passer efficiency rating, but, uh, I don't know that we could argue Tate's a better, a more efficient Tate passer than Minshew, but there you go. Um, so seven different Cougars have led or tied for the lead, uh, in receptions in 10 games this season. Um, at least nine Washington state players have caught a pass in every game. Um, and 10 players have caught at least 15 passes, eight have caught at least 20, and six have caught at least 30. Uh, this is the most by any team in the country. Uh, to put that in perspective, Arizona only has two 30-plus receivers in Sean Brown and Sean Poindexter. So the real the real devil in, in Washington State's system, and you know, obviously the genius in, in uh, Leach, is that everybody contributes to the success of the system and, and people can be run into the system and, and have success. I think that's going to be incredibly difficult for Arizona to defend. Um, thoughts having heard all those stats? Um, yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, you pretty much said it in my opinion. So um, you already hit on this, but despite throwing the ball 182 uh, more passes than any other team in the conference, Washington State has surrendered the least amount of sacks at seven. There's only two teams in the country that have yielded fewer. Army, which never throws the ball, and North yeah. Carolina State, which has 189 fewer pass attempts in Washington State. So I, you definitely uh, hit that nail on the head that um, it's going to be incredibly challenging for the defense to, to put pressure on on Minshew. And if they try to pressure him, you know, who's going to be open and how they try to formulate the coverage behind pressure. But you still think they're going to be aggressive and, and not allow them to drive down the field systematically. Is that is that correct, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, because like I said earlier, it's like you either pick man, which, you know, to do this, that to play man coverage with Washington State for 60 pass attempts, that, that seems very difficult. And then you're going to have to run some zone, and I Minshew is just going to be able to pick you apart. So I think, you know, you just got to be able to send as much pressure as you can and just try to throw his timing off or his tempo or anything that you can to just, you know, just change something up and, and make it a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, what was it, that was seven sacks like all season. That all season. like not just Pac-12, like that's just ridiculous to yeah, it's absurd that many pass attempts. And so, oh gosh, yeah, that's terrifying to think about. All right, well, before we get to our picks for this week, why don't you run down the Friday Night Lights for us, Gabe? All righty, so filling in for Brandon here. Uh, so we have uh, the crown jewel of the class, Grant Gannell, uh, lost. But this was just the regular season finale, so they are still going through with the playoffs. He went 28 for 39, 514 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, seven carries for 21 yards. Um, I believe he still is, yeah, he's still in the top 400 of the rankings. So um, 
you know, he's he's three-star material though with these numbers that he's putting up for his career for the season, 258 for 371, 4146 yards, 48 touchdowns to six interceptions, 78 carries, 461 on the yards and seven touchdowns. So, just some three-star numbers for you. I bet that's Quote. behind Tate's passer efficiency rating right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Quibena Watson here, uh, high-end three-star D-end outside linebacker. They lost in the playoffs to Central 42-21. to um, We don't know his stats for this game, um, but now his season is done. And so uh, I don't know if he's a early signee, but hopefully he is. He was someone who was highly recruited prior to his He had some Ole Miss, USC, and I think Oregon offers, so Hopefully uh, his recruitment is on the low for the next month or two. Uh, Jackson Turner, one of my personal favorites, um, they beat uh, Bishop Alamey 42-14, and they are now 12-0 and on the season. Uh, I feel like Jackson's been playing a lot more receiver over the last few weeks. He finished with five receptions, 59 yards, uh, no defensive stats available, um, but it looks like they're going to advance into the playoffs and hopefully continue to go undefeated here. Maurice Gaines Jr., uh, he is next. He's been blowing up in his recruitment. Oklahoma State, Baylor, um, gosh, I caught TCU maybe. Oh, Texas. Um, he's been picking up offers left and right. His season is over as well. They lost to Cheshire Academy 17-0. Um garbage film crew out there just <laughs> disrespecting him uh and his uh, he finished with two tackles there according to his film um but just doesn't seem like uh he's getting the ball thrown his way anyways with his coverage so that is for mo Gaines. uh he has a senior film up as well pretty solid stuff uh jamari williams uh they had their playoff game they beat Merritt island 49 14 um no stats for uh the big man but uh they'll continue to the second round of the florida 5a playoffs uh he has his regular season film available as well uh kane bradford kind of a mystery this whole season i mean even entering uh his senior season relatively new to football i don't think he played until his freshman year but he's a huge 6'5", 270, 280-pound kid. Um, he had a Baylor offer prior to his commitment to Arizona. Uh, they beat Pierce 28-27. to 27. Uh, And I'm not sure if that – I don't think that was playoffs because their next game will be against DeSoto on the 16th, so tomorrow for Friday. Um, yeah, but game stats unknown and no film of that game either. Uh, so next we have Chris Rowland. They lost in a shootout to El Rancho 56-52. to So their season is over. Uh, man, Rowland is just ridiculous when it comes to uh, his offensive tape. But he, has six, he had six tackles and a tackle for loss and a pass breakup on defense. On offense, he had nine receptions for 356 yards and five touchdowns. So pretty much 
I mean, he's got a 50, 50 shot of taking this ball to the house. If he catches it on nine or seven, five touchdowns on nine receptions for the year, 57 tackles, four tackles for loss, seven interceptions, three pass breakups and a forced fumble. Uh, on offense, 77 receptions, 1,491 yards, and 19 touchdowns. Uh, so just a phenomenal athlete. He picked up a USC offer. Brandon and I were talking about this. We think that the offer is potentially a gray shirt or a blue shirt type of offer. Um, and it'll be interesting. I mean, he's a, he's an electrifying wide receiver. Like I think he's Cam Denson 4.0. Uh, when you watch his wide receiver film, but it seems like the staff is still going to bring him in as a corner. doesn't have a whole lot of corner films. So that's just been my hesitation from all season. Just, uh, I would be happy with him as a wide receiver though. Uh, just a tremendous athlete. So now we go on to Darion Clark, three-star linebacker. They, uh, wow. They did some damage on Jefferson 64 to nothing. Clark finished with nine tackles, three for loss and two sacks. Uh, his film's been pretty good this whole season. He has his uh, senior highlights up as well. Uh, they're going to play next uh, their playoff game against Everman uh, tomorrow or the Friday, November 16th, whenever you're watching or listening to this. Um, Clark's been awesome this season, though. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see him. I think depending on how the middle linebacker situation goes, he could be in line um, behind Colin Schooler next year. I think you can move Colossian around Brandon. And I also think you can move Isaiah Johnson, the stud. So it'll be interesting. I think he's someone who could play next season though. And obviously he could play his four games as well with the red shirt. Michael Wiley. One Your of favorite. my, yeah, I, I couldn't like this, ah, man, every week I just couldn't stand his junior film, but now just been shredding it. Uh, they beat, uh, Alif Taylor, uh, Alif, Alif Taylor, thirty-five nothing. They are nine and one on the season. Uh, unofficial stats, not fully up to date on max preps. One hundred fifteen carries for eight hundred ninety-four yards, twelve touchdowns, eleven receptions for one hundred fifty-eight yards, and I believe. Uh, I mean, this has to be missing a couple of games. I feel like two weeks ago he became the first thousand-yard rusher for Strake Jesuit High School. Um, so he's been tearing it up. He has his full senior highlights up as well. Uh, we got a couple more here. Eddie Simow, uh, another mystery here. Um, out of the American Samoa, outside linebacker, D-end. Um, it looks like their season is over. There's not a whole lot of coverage out there. But his team finished two and six. We've had no stats all season. Um, yeah, just just a huge dude. I think the last official measurements Brandon and I saw, he was like six two two thirty. Uh, so I mean, really, just kind of like your prototypical USC guy, especially once he comes to campus and packs on some more good weight. I'm terrified that this guy's recruitment is going to blow up. Someone's going to find him after the season is done and coaches are going to start traveling. But Brandon has told me that he is still very firm on his commitment to Arizona and the staff and all of that. So no fear there. Uh, Kyle Ossendorp punter at a desert Vista. They lost in the playoffs. So his season is over. They lost 49 to 20. Um, 
it looks like some unofficial season stats are not completely up to date. 28 punts for 1,167 yards, averaging just under 42 yards a punt, and he pinned 12 inside the 20. So his season is over. Uh, he where's, where's he ranking on the, the national boards? Is it is he still oh. dropping like a stone? Oh gosh, I'm I'm scared to look. <laughs> yeah, he's when he committed Arizona, he was like 70th. Then he kind of went down to uh, I think like 103, then 119. I've got his profile. Uh, yeah, he's at 125 right now. Yeah, he goes down every um, every week. And, yeah, um, yeah, just crazy. I mean, his last evaluation was January, so I don't know what a evaluation really. Um, is if he has to see him in a live punting or kicking camp. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. Um, let's see. Back to the, uh, okay, yeah. So Rocky Atogi or Hina Atogi. Um, it looks like their season. Yeah, their season is now finally over. Says Brandon, they finished two and eight. Um, no stats for him. Although there is a new crystal ball pick for him to flip to Ole Miss. Brandon talked about that last week where he thinks a decommend is coming. I've kind of heard the same thing over the last few weeks. Um, coincidentally, I have a friend out at Ole Miss who follows college football recruiting um, at a much grosser level than, than we do. The SEC is crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Ole Miss eventually is going to land him um jordan we're pretty sick gabe i just want to point that out (laughs) yeah oh boy um yeah so jordan morgan next his season was over last week i think um they finished seven and four they lost they lost pretty bad in the playoffs to sienega i think it was um his season's over uh he has a usc and asu offer uh i feel like usc was still kind of recruiting him um but I feel like it's just kind of one of those things where you just, I mean, he could just easily get buried on the depth chart or they could create him into an all American. And I think, I mean, he definitely has that potential, but you know, you definitely something to think about on his side, but Brandon believes that he is firm with his commitment as well. Jalen Johnson, uh, looks like, uh, their season. Oh, okay. So they didn't make the playoffs or they lost last week in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt finished five and six. He finished with 45 receptions, 789 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, mildly underwhelming. I mean, an 800 ish yard season isn't bad in high school, but his quarterback is just not very good. Every, I feel like every couple of weeks, I just kind of go see their max preps and these kids are throwing like 10 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. They're kind of rotating between some guys. So just not great, but, yeah, that is all of uh, 14 or however many commits Arizona has at the moment. Uh, yeah, 14. That is all 14. How many more are we going to bring in? I know we've touched on this, but just uh, give us the short version of that. And how many more offensive linemen? Uh, I'd say so Arizona's at 14. I'd like to say Arizona hits like 18 or 19. Uh, um, just, I mean, I, I haven't kept up with my scholarship tracker at all. It's more of just a fun off-season thing to do just because there's not a lot to talk about. So I, I should probably get back into that, but 
I don't think they'll use all the scholarships that are available. You, this is someone's first class. I don't think you want to put a whole lot um, and tie a whole lot up in your first class when it's not going to be that great uh, compared to what you would ex expect in the coming years. Um, I do think some scholarships open up, just guys not being asked back for their fifth year and whatnot, or some transfers at the end of the year. Offensive linemen, I, I mean, if you lose Rocky, then I would, wow, man. I mean, Peyton Fear seems like you can land him. Um, so that kind of replaces Rocky, but I, I would hope you get another one with fears after Rocky leaves, like a minimum of two more or two commitments from me. Would you mark that as the most concerning area? Uh, you know, so I tweeted about this, uh, hmm. I don't know, sometime earlier this week. But I'm not entirely, like, the, the offensive line, especially knowing what Joe Gilbert has done in his first year, you return a lot of guys next year, and a lot of them have played. And the depth doesn't look completely terrible compared to this year. Nathan Eldridge, you don't really know what's up with him. But you get Robert Congle, the Texas A&M transfer, and he'll be eligible this season. And you'll just have to replace Lathe Freak. And then I think in my proposed, I forgot what I had proposed, but it, it was somewhere. Oh, uh, Donovan Leahy. Left yeah, tackle. left versus right tackle uh, and whether Elatisse is a guard or yep. not. Yeah, and then Elatisse at left guard center. I think you could do Macaulay if you want to roll with the experience, or Robert Kongel, depending what you want to do there, uh, or Bryson Kane, or, or you could kick him out, out Bryson Kane out, and put Kongel in there. So kind of inter interchangeable there, and then put Creason back at left tackle or right tackle, excuse me. And then I mean, you kind of have some some decent depth back there. I, I blanking right off the top of my head, but you have Edgar Barola. Uh, who's kind of been in the system for a little bit. Gosh, I'm blanking on everything. But, I mean, I, I'm not totally concerned. Uh, you need a playmaker at corner. I think that's probably the most concerning for me, me right now, especially if you don't know what's going to happen with Jason. I think Arizona has like six scholarship corners, and not all of them are really guys that you would want starting, I guess. So corner is definitely my big concern. O-line, I'm pleasantly surprised with with the way that it's shaping up. And I think if you can get Peyton Fears um, and lock another guy up, you, know, you can lose Rocky. Uh, I, I think it's a decent position group for the time being. All right, yeah, I was going to ask you if you thought um, maybe um, the cornerback was uh... – was a bigger group, bigger concern. So there you go. Yeah. So running down the um, the underclassmen, uh, Elatise, Kane, who we spoke of, and Lay, who've all got increasing, who've all got um, starting experience. Um, Creason being the farthest along a junior, but Elatise being a redshirt sophomore, Kane a sophomore. You also have Tyson Gardner, um, Kosinski, um, Aponte. Barola, um, Lacusa, uh, Watson, and then Congle, as you mentioned, and then Eldridge, we're not really sure about. You also have Bailey and Jacobs. 
um, back there. So there's, there's a lot of bodies. I don't know how many of those are legitimate starting caliber. Um, but there's no shortage of guys with, uh, with OL in front of their position group. So, um, let's, um, run through the picks for this week. Um, so, uh, number 19, Utah is rolling into Colorado. Again, this is a game that Arizona fans are going to want to watch at 11.30 a.m. on Pac-12 Network if you can find it. Uh, Utah's given up seven points with an over-under of 48. Utah started out with a seven-and-a-half point uh, spread, and the over-under started at 48-and-a-half points. We need the um, the Buffs to pull this one out and stop their, um, their losing streak. Uh, what say you, Gabe? Um, yeah, I don't think the losing streak stops i think they're just i mean I, well okay there's there's two trains of thought they could either just continue and just uh, they started five and they're on a five game losing streak and they could make it six or with all this mac, mac mike mcintyre talk of him not being back next season maybe they play for him and rally around him i could see either of the two happening um but i think utah just gets it done with uh, I feel like that's that's a good amount of points for you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. But Hunley's out for the season, isn't he? Yeah, he went down with a collarbone fracture. And then I don't know if Moss is back either. I was really shocked when they pulled out the game against um, Oregon. But Oregon's had its struggles too. And obviously yeah. we'll talk about them when it relates to the ASU game. That spread is pretty interesting too. Yikes! I wow. Okay, without without Moss and Hanley. Mm. Don't quote me on Moss. I know he had gotten injured during practice yeah. the previous yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, he, he's been hurt. But even even just without Hanley, I mean, he's not great. But I mean, just losing your starting quarterback this late in the season, just and Hanley's been incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, okay, I'm gonna take. Uh, I'll take Colorado in the over. I've changed my mind. That's exactly what I picked. So the McIntyre. So here's my take on Mac. I think the guy's dense as a rock. You know, I mean, he strikes me as kind of your typical goonish uh, coach, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think he's any savant by any stretch of the imagination. But compared to Rich Rod, when they won the Pac-12 South, which I think was a cumulative effect of that senior class being together and starting and grinding and developing, um, it, and, and, you know, subsequently that paying off dividends, he went right back to work. And I thought he showed good stewardship to Colorado. And so they lose LaVisca Chenault, who's legitimately, I think, a Heisman candidate in and of himself. If he would have contributed sure. on that pace, I, I think he would be in, in the conversation. And then when they come down here and it's a reasonably competitive game, I mean, we talked about how the defense is improving the Pac-12 play. But in that game, as you pointed out, it was back and forth, um, you know, the 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 Oregon game, our defense really stepped up. The Cal game, our defense really stepped up, but certainly not in the, the Colorado game. And then Colorado loses its top three, three wide receivers in that game, and their running back goes out uh, like we talked about in detail. So Colorado could have easily won the game against us, one of the currently hotter teams in the Pac-12. And so I just find the talk of dismissing him off a season with all these injuries – 
uh, and the, the success they had in the South, I, I don't know. I kind of find it laughable. And, and I'm not a McIntyre fan, but I think the guy, you know, he's, he's, he's a grinder. He showed up. And there's a lot of really um, good um, articles out there talking about programs that have had a quarterback or, excuse me, a head coach that takes a program that's kind of languishing. And listen, Colorado was languishing for a long time and builds them up to good, but they can't, quote, get to the next level. And then these programs start trying to hire coaches to get them to the next level, and it's largely a disaster. What's your thoughts about McIntyre and if if Colorado feels like they should be at the next level if it's a good move to um, uh, part ways with him? Yeah, I so I, I read a couple articles as, as well mostly one just because i'm i'm interested in just who kind of the replacements are and who would take his place Uh, but then you stumble upon a rabbit hole and this and that but i mean it is interesting because colorado sends guys to the league and probably um a lot more than one would expect i think if you were to just kind of think about the teams that have sent guys to the nfl over the last however long he's been there but yeah i i i saw i saw i was reading some stuff and it's like okay he's he it's it's a pretty bad pac-12 record that he's accumulated over the last few years um but then at the same time i feel like that what was it 2016 15 whenever they, they won the south i I feel like that that just kind of saved his job for the next year or two. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think he's anything special, but I mean, it, it, there's kind of this interesting thing, which I kind of think about every now and then just because I, it's interesting when you have like a, a Kirk Ferentz or a Kyle Whittingham where, you know, you, you're just kind of complacent with seven and, eight nine wins and you know an an average bowl and sometimes you have a good top 25 season and a 10 win season and maybe you compete for your division but with colorado i i don't know if i yeah i don't know if they can if they could turn the corner with him and kind of get to that level and be competitive within the south and i mean usc hasn't had a hold on the division over the last few years neither is ucla i mean it's kind of been wide open and they're still just kind of bottom feeders of the south so that's kind of my take on on colorado all righty um sc is heading into ucla sc has given up three and a half points with an over-under of 54.5, which is a little bit down from 55. This is going to be on 130 at Fox, like we talked about Fox taking that slot for that particular game and putting us to the dead of night in the freezing cold. Um, what do you think about that game? I'll take USC on the points. I uh, Is Wilton Spate still starting? I, I Regardless, I mean, I don't. I like USC's chances if Spate is starting, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think very highly of UCLA. I don't really care that it's in the Rose Bowl. Um, all, the the over under is interesting because I could see this kind of just being uh, a dirty, low scoring game. So I might take the under here. Oh man, I already penciled you in for the over. Um, 
I'll take SC in the over, so uh, I'll put a little scratch mark uh, through there and put you down for the under. I think that um, SC has been pretty putrid, and and I personally cannot understand how their head coach is still employed. He just oh yeah. I mean, you know, if you got to clean house and get rid of Lin Swan at the AD too, then just do it. It's it's a hot mess. Supposedly USC fans were cheering at the end of the game because they felt like finally losing to Cal would, you know, push forward. Um, you know the the removal of Helton, but the dude still got a job. And, and then when the McIntyre news came out, I'm like, how the heck are they beating USC to the punch on this? I wish I had the Las Vegas line on the first Pac-12 coach to get fired um, because I can't believe Helton wouldn't be the far and away, um, you know, best bet. But uh, it's just shocking that he continues there. But I do think that this is one of those things where SC could go in there and just trouse UCLA. It's it's kind of comical after UCLA pulled out the win against us in the Rose Bowl, how UCLA fans were talking about how they were tied for uh, first in the Pac-12 South, and they were contending, and despite this, that, and the other. And, and they've subsequently you know went on to have a full full meltdown and, and just drop off the map, which, listen, I, you know, when you see USC play as poorly as it does with its talent, it's, it's, you know, I don't even know what the word for it is. It's, you know, I'm almost upset for USC fans when I should be happy. These guys are finally losing, but it's not like UCLA is devoid of talent. I mean, we've talked about how good their recruiting classes, how that program cannot be competitive under chip Kelly is just beyond my comprehension. Yeah. Um, you want to dovetail on that before we go to the next pick, or? Uh, no, I mean, I, I was I was gonna kind of just talk about how, I mean, both the LA programs have brought in probably top USC for sure top ten classes every year, if not maybe twelve one year over your last four or five years of all the guys that should be on your roster. They have a couple of guys who get kicked off now and then, and. Um, you know, I guess they face some injuries this year as well, but in UCLA, they're still pulling in at least top 18, top 20 classes for sure every year. And, you know, same with Mora, just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, the, I guess the, what's the word, just the, the overall difference in the level of recruiting that the LA schools have had compared to the rest of the Pac-12 I mean, it shouldn't even be a contest the, the way it has been the past few years. Certainly in the South. Like, you might make an argument yeah. for Oregon and UW yeah. uh, mm-hmm. recruiting on a comparable level, but nobody else in the South recruits like they do. And, yeah, I would argue that probably, and I'm, you know, I haven't looked this up, I mean, UCLA's worst class is probably better than Arizona's best class. Oh, and, 100%. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just, I don't know, I, it just boggles my mind. Um, Quickly, quickly. meanwhile, Mike Leach had probably his best classes maybe been like 45 over the last few years. Um, That guy can just put anyone in. You know, you look at like, say, ASU and they they get Nikhil Harry, a four star. And I should have asked you this when we were talking the recruiting questions. Are we going to bring in any four stars this year or or any? uh, Um, Who's your money's on for like the class? the class gem besides a clearly underranked Gunnell. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Bobby Wolf is just, 
I think he's going to announce, I think he's a U.S. Army All-American Bowl candidate. I think he's going to announce there. Um, decommitted right after his visit to Arizona. I think he's a top 75-ish player. Maybe he's in the top 150. Um, but a four-star corner, previously committed to A&M when Sumlin was there. So obviously there's some history there. So I think at this point, it seems like all signs point to Arizona. And Jalen Curry, a four-star receiver, and now I'm getting their rankings mixed up. They're probably, I think they're both in the top 150. Curry might be in the top 100 somewhere. My thought process with him all along, he was a heavy Auburn lean in the summer. My thought was that if it was that heavy, he would commit to Auburn. Um, then things kind of shifted to Penn State, and my thought there was if if he if if I guess the words were true about how how good shape Penn State was, he would have committed. I don't think he would just draw it out all the way to signing day. And he's taken official and unofficial visits to Arizona with Ganell, who is teammate at St. Pius X. So just he's got Ganell barking in his ear every day about Arizona, I'm sure. And so that one, not I'm not so sure about. Um, Brandon feels pretty good about that one. But uh, I think he's got a really good shot to come to Arizona. And then outside of that, yeah, I think those those are the two four-star guys to watch until a new offer comes out. And, you know, Arizona can potentially try to pry them away from a bigger school. But I do think then it'll be filled out with some of the, some more top 1,000-ish kind of guys. Yeah, your point about Leach and um, and taking a bunch of guys off the coat rack is just, you know, it's just mind-boggling what he's done up there. Yeah. I mean, uh, he deserves mm-hmm. all the credit the guy gets. Um, they should be they should be building that guy a statue there. Um, Oregon State. Goes into UW. UW's number 18 in the nation. This is at 230 on Pac-12. UW is giving up uh, 33.5 points, which is up from 32.5, with an over-under rate of 58.5, which is up from 58. So apparently people in Vegas were paying attention to OSU at Stanford. (laughs) What do you think, Gabe? Man, see, I could see this, you know, just being a a quiet 31. one to seven, ten game, kind of like that. Um, I, I mean, I don't really believe in in Washington a whole lot. I, it's not like, yeah, not that I think highly of Oregon State at all. But th- thirty three, you say, is thirty three and a half, which is yeah, up from thirty two no, and a half. Uh, Gosh, yeah, no, I, I just can't do it. That's that I don't trust Washington enough, and I think I'll probably go on the under as well. I'm gonna take UW in the over on that one, um, wow, okay. solely based on what happened with Stanford last week. So, okay. um, I think your your feelings about UW have been pretty consistent all season and mostly have been validated. Uh, but I think in this case, it, they probably just run away with it. Uh, Stanford. Nerds! Rolls into Cal. If you want these kind of dreams, it's Californication. Uh, Stanford's given up two points with an over/under of 45. This is at 5:30 on Pac-12. 
This is an easy under for me. Um, Cal's defense has been phenomenal over the last few weeks, uh, and their offense has been hot garbage. They have 15 points last week, 13 the week before that, and 12. Um, so, like, combined, like, 40 points in three weeks, barely, if that. Um, yeah, that wouldn't hit yeah, the so over-under go- for a single other game this week besides this one. Yeah, so... Yeah, I'm I'm going under, and I th- I think I'll take Stanford there. I like it. I'm following your lead there. An excellent analysis on the under. Um, ASU uh, rolls into Oregon here here at a30 on Pac-12 Network. So here it is, Gabe. We we alluded to it. Oregon is giving up three and a half points at home to ASU. Oh man. I feel like Oregon has just teased me all year. Like, you just always think it's easy money and just – I think I've probably picked – If I mean, this would be like advanced sabermetrics here, but I probably picked Oregon to cover any time they were favorites. Um, gosh. It's all about you on-base know? percentage, Gabe. All on-base <laughs> percentage. Um, uh, see, so part of me wants to – pick asu to cover and this is solely because if they win or just cover then i'm right but if they lose i'm still happy about it so this is just yeah so this is just a pure emotional pick of asu covering what is the over under uh 64 up from 63 Uh, Man, I've been going under lately. I'm going to have to stick with it, too. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about Leach and, and, and pulling guys off the court rack. You look at a team like ASU, and they've got the most experienced quarterback in the Pac-12. They've got a former uh, um, Army All-American and Eno Benjamin, who's actually ahead of J.J. Taylor on the national running um, total running yards. I think he's third, and J.J. Taylor's fourth now. Um, just a few oh, yards wow. apart, yeah. Um, and and they've got a guy like Nikhil Harry who's basically carrying this team. I mean, if it's not for that punt return in the USC game, they they oh, don't yeah. win that. I mean, um, and so many other circumstances that guy's carried them. But my point about that as it relates to Leach is they're clearly having an incredible, um, you know, uh, season in, in regards to their expectations and their productivity but they've got this you know pretty good conglomeration of talent there you know you know Nikhil Harry's a four-star you know I can't I can't say that I've looked at Washington State's wide receiver rankings but do they have a four-star wide receiver on their team I I doubt it and I can't even think of anybody who's been lauded on that team as sort of the guy at wide receiver yeah, I know. Season. I know. In he's got to be a freshman or sophomore. Jameer Cal, Calvin. Uh, he was recruited by Arizona for a bit, but I don't think he was four star. Um, gosh, now I'm curious. But he 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 was up there. Um, let's say, oh, they have a four star. I don't know if he's playing. Um, but in the last class, he's, he'd be a true freshman. Roderick Fisher, four star. Uh, ranked 338. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they've got a couple thousand, 
inside the top thousand guys. Now I'm curious. Uh, yeah, Jameer Kelvin out of Cathedral. Yeah, four star. Uh-huh. I know he's played quite a bit. Um, he's ranked 317 in the 2017. But where, where would you rank that guy in the Pac-12 and wide receivers this season? Not to say that he can't grow into something else. I mean, Harry's going to go to the NFL and be a first-round draft pick. Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, I mean... Just ballpark. I mean, you know, upper third, middle third, bottom third. I don't want to put you on the line like he's number. Yeah, I, I mean, something. I would say he's like low end, upper third, high end, middle. Yeah, it's just impressive yeah. to me that you know, it, just to make the contrast. Now, I hadn't realized he had recruited that well, so um, you know, that's uh, you know, my bad, um, but. Anyways, you know, I, I can't think of a time where Washington State had a great receiver that was driving the, the receiving game. Oh, yeah. Uh, as, as opposed mm-hmm. to clearly the issue, Harry, is, you know, is, is taking that team along for the ride. Although Ener Benjamin's running game, I think, you know, is, is equally uh, valuable to their, their effectiveness. Um, so uh, to wrap up, UVA is going to roll into uh, Washington State. Washington State's ranked number eight in the country. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. They're giving up 10.5 points with an over-under of 62.5. This is at 8.30 on the four-letter network. What do you think about the Wildcats' chances, Gabe? Uh, I'm... I'm going to go the over because I pick Washington State on the over. And I'm going to keep doing it because I just feel like they themselves can get very close to the over, um, regardless of who they play. And I, uh, I mean, I want to, I want to say that, you know, Arizona is playing their best ball right now. They're going off of, they're coming off of a bye. They've had two weeks to prepare. Their defense has been playing well. Offense is finally clicking, but I don't know. I just, I just don't like this road trip against Mike Leach in the cold, late at night. I, I think I'm gonna have to take Wazoo on the points. All right, amigo. I think you're speaking uh, very logical and rational things. I certainly agree <laughs> with you on the over, and that Washington State could uh, just carry that on their own. And I think uh, up on the Palouse in the middle of the night, the odds are decidedly stacked against the U of A. I'm going to go ahead and take the cats on this one. I am guardedly optimistic that Khalil Tate uh, and his ankle are going to bring a dimension that teams haven't seen this year and perhaps have been lulled into a false sense of security in regards how to defend him. And hopefully he has one of those uh, October-esque games uh, in November uh, that we remembered him so fondly for. So he'll move from Mr. October to Mr. November, hopefully uh, this year. Uh, Bear down, Gabe. Yes, bear down.